Okay, welcome back to episode 9 of the Bible Connection podcast. Guys, this is a weekly podcast that follows our church's Bible reading plan that we might encourage you not to give up on reading your Bibles through this year. So, check it out. My name is Josh Williams. I'm your host, and I'm going to I'm going to spice it up. Uh, welcome my friend Brandon. Happy to be here. My friend Taylor. Hey, Josh. And my good friend John. I'm still cracking up with the wiggity what's up or something. Wiggity what's up? What? <laughs> That's what it sounded like to me. <laughs> what a, what a, what's up, man? <laughs> well, moving on. So this week, guys, we're we're discussing the opening chapters of Deuteronomy uh, from chapter 1 to 16. You guys ready to hop in? Let's do it. All right. In Deuteronomy chapters 1 through 3, Moses gives us a brief recap of what Israel has been through from Sinai to where they are today. So, in that, what does this recap do to teach and instruct the people of Israel and us today? Well, um, starting off, one thing that could be a little confusing is all the geography. You know, the first few verses, you know, you're finally out of numbers. Am I going to get back into some more narrative? And they start talking about, you know, Horeb and Laban and Hezeroth and Kadesh Barnea and Ashtaroths and Amorites. So where, where are we? Um, numbers ended by Moses instructing the people on the plains of Moab outside of the Jordan River. Before they go into the Promised Land, there's this river called the Jordan River. And Moses isn't allowed in, so this is his last chance to stop with the people and give them some instructions and, and edify them and teach them before they go in. When we get into Deuteronomy 1, we kind of get a flashback. Mount Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. And so we get in chapters 1 through 3 kind of a recap of the journey from Sinai all the way up to the Promised Land and kind of an expansion on some of the things that are going on while they're in that journey. So you have in chapter 1 where they're commanded to leave Sinai and the people rebelled against God and refused to enter the land, and then um, God punishing them by making their fathers walk around for 40 years until they all drop dead in the wilderness. Um, And then getting into chapter 2, you get a little bit of a recap of um, the end of Numbers, when God starts giving them victory over some of these kings. And if, if I wanted to point out one thing we could learn from that, um, before handing it over um, for you all to, to make some of your um, observations, God is actively working out his purposes among the nations at the end of Numbers. Um, God is looking into the people's lives, and he's, he's making things happen. So first we see him judging the wicked fathers who disobeyed. We also see him... Um, Making the people dread, um, making the people of Canaan dread the Israelites as they begin to approach. We see him hardening the hearts of obstinate kings. Um, so God is sovereignly acting um, out His purposes um, in these first three chapters as they are approaching the Promised Land. And secondly, um, we see the people um, being given victory by God over over these nations um, that we already saw in Numbers. So if you remember King Og, and if you remember um, King of Sihon. Um, these two kings were already uh, talked about last week where the people of Israel were given victory over them and, and given their cities. Um, the people are, are allowed to um, conquer them because God is with them. And it's supposed to encourage them as they go into the promised land that God is going to continue to give them victory in battles. And there's as, as you're reading through Deuteronomy, you'll notice there's a lot of repetition. A lot, there's a, this, this phrase, in the land, is over and over and over and over and over again. And, you know, when, when, when the scriptures do that, we need to take notice of that and, and remember it not only as we're reading Deuteronomy, but, but as we're reading 
reading the Bible uh, from, from, from cover to cover. And as we think about in the land, um, we think about, okay, where, where have these people come from? They have come from Egypt, right? They have crossed, they have, they have crossed through the waters of judgment and death, right? And now into the promised land, right? So when we think about in, in the land that the Lord, your God is giving you, I think, and I would, and I would argue that this is the foundation for the, for the new Testament, for the new covenant language of being in Christ. So the, the 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 similarity of Egypt as sin or being in Adam, right, going through the waters of judgment of the Red Sea is 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 baptism. There's there's death and new life coming into the land, right, the land of promise, and 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 symbolically in the new covenant we come into Christ, you know, through the waters of baptism in. Into the land or in cross and and Rich Lusk and his and Rich Lusk and Yuri Burrito and um, the Ruth the Ruth commentary through New Eyes commentary the, um, the end of the end of it he he has a great section on that but also a couple other literary things in in the book of Deuteronomy right off the bat you'll see in in one this this same this same pattern that that that, that unfolds over and over and over again of Genesis one twenty eight I mean you you. you you, you can't miss it. If you look at Genesis chapter 1, you'll see that go in, uh, verse verse 8, see that I have set you, um, set before you, go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and gave them um, and to their offspring after them. So you see that there's there is a dynasty, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, right? And then right after that, you'll see in verse 9, at that time, I said to you, I'm not able to bear you by myself. The Lord, your God, has multiplied you, and behold, um, I, 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 behold, uh, I, got, I got it mixed up. There's a dominion, so the, there's the land um, of, of take dominion, um, subdue the earth, and then right after that in verse 9, you'll see that the Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as num- numerous as the stars of heaven, hearkening back to Abraham, the covenant with Abraham. In Genesis 15. Yes, yes. So that same pattern, as Deuteronomy opens up, is 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 we see that again. And then also one other thing, quickly, in verse 30. This is this was a, um, I love how Deuteronomy instructs families. It's 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 constantly talking. Um, it's co- it's talking to 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 fathers and instructing your children. Instruct your children. Do it like this. You know. Make sure that 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 your 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 children observe what you're doing, um, so that they may not forget. Right. But but in in Numbers chapter num- or I'm sorry Deuteronomy chapter one verse thirty. I love the language that's used here. It says the Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord has carried you as a man carries his son, all the way that you all all the way that you went until you came to this place. So the the language is so rich. It's it's so we, we see just in just how in, in Leviticus we saw 
that God desires to be our God and he desire we he wants us to be his people the the this this nearness of God dwelling with us now we see you know God as a father right carrying us and and we as fathers right we are to 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 model as you know you know showing our children what it what it looks like to be a father ultimately that is topological for training our children to trust our heavenly father right mm. that's the whole reason why um, God created the family like he did. So. And I think one of the most important things about Deuteronomy is it's telling this to a generation whose fathers failed them. Exactly. These, these fathers, as they were going into the land, they were terrified. And so when he's saying in verse 30, the Lord goes before you himself and he'll fight for you, it's because their fathers were, they went into the land, they're like, okay, these, the, 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 the grapes of the vine are great. The, the land truly is a, a beautiful land to take possession of but the giants, right? And so you're going to see a few, you know, phrases that are kind of obscure when you're going through the first three chapters of Genesis, uh, not Genesis, Deuteronomy. You see these Anakim in verse 28. Um, you see them again brought up in verses um, 20 through 21 in chapter 2. It's also counted as the land of the Rephaim. Rephaim formerly lived there, but the Ammonites called them the Zemzumin, <laughs> a people great and many, as tall as the Anakim. These are the you know, the, the giants that the fathers, the spies had claimed to see when they went into the land, and they were terrified. They didn't trust that the Lord, it says in Hebrews, they were unable to enter the land because of their unbelief. They didn't trust that the Lord could give them victory. And and then Moses recounts the victories they were given. So if you go, go to chapter 3, what, probably the most interesting nugget I've pulled out of Deuteronomy when I was studying through it this week, you see that they defeated the king of Og. Uh, the, um, Og is in this land, Bishon, and he, um, he's a huge guy. If you look at um, verses 10 through 11, um, it says that his bed was made of iron, and it was nine cubits long, and it was four cubits wide. And so that would put his bed being twice as long as a queen-sized bed and almost twice as wide. Uh, this guy would have been a humongous um, giant, according to the, the claims that the people were making when they came to see him. And, and yet God defeated him with his power, by his might. The people didn't lose... Um, a single man in, in that battle. And so um, when he says in verse 21, I commanded Joshua at the time, your eyes have seen all that the Lord has done to choose these two kings. So the Lord will do all to the kingdoms that you're crossing. You shall not fear them for it's the Lord, your God who fights for you. And so it, it's going to be a theme as we build out Deuteronomy that the Lord is basically proving himself to the people so that they can then pass that on to their children, generation after generation to trust in the Lord and to love the Lord, and, and, and he's going to be the one that wins their battles. Deuteronomy recaps what this rebellious generation of people have done. And as, as we read all the way through the other books of, of the Torah, we see so much of what had went wrong with their faith and where they were. So they refuse to go into the land, they rebel, they're out in the wilderness, and sometimes taking all these stories and looking at a 50,000-foot a view kind of puts a perspective of where their heart was. They were in Egypt for a long time, and they idled the very things of Egypt. And this entire time they're out in the desert, 40 years, they are struggling still with the things that they once had and what they long for. So this, um, at, at a very high level, I think depicts how engraven sin is in their lives. And rather than uh, them leave Egypt go along the coastline, and go straight into the promised land, there's a reason why God took them the hard route uh, across the Red Sea into Sinai and all these other desert regions. Um, and it was to teach them 
to trust God. And countless time over and over, we see that they fail and they fail again and they fail again. And after reading many of these stories and then kind of putting them all together as we read in Deuteronomy, it shows how hardened their hearts were uh, and how difficult it was uh, to get the Egypt out of Israel's longing. So I think, um, and, and we're, we're going to go through it more and more, um, but like this this summary and this this recap of what is going on um, really shows the, the state of Israel and where they were and how um, and the, the justification for God to, to punish them um, and for this generation not to make it into the land that he promised, but rather the generation after. All right, so real quick, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take us to uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a couple of verses for us here, starting in verse 30, or, or chapter 22, and we're going to start in verse 34. So it says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is this com- great command- commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, hearkening back, or, or Jesus is calling back to Deuteronomy 6.5, uh, the greatest commandment. What is what is going on here in Deuteronomy chapter 6? What is, what is this greatest commandment? Um, so, to start, Jesus... Um, is referencing Shema, or to hear, oh, Israel, or I'll go over that in one minute. But Jesus, immediately in the context of the New Testament, what we're reading right here, uh, is being questioned about the rabbi's yoke. So rabbis had an interpretation of the scriptures um, by 613 laws, and they would be asked, what is the greatest command? And depending upon the rabbi's interpretation, they would say this command or that command. And that highest command would interpret all the other lesser commands un- under it. So, for example, when an ox fell in the pit, um, do you get it out? But if it's on a Sabbath, do you get it out of the pit? And you would reconcile with these different commands uh, and these different laws, which one was more important. And the more important one, you upheld in the text. So the most and greatest command that Jesus answers here is from what we recognize and call as Shema, to love the Lord your God. So jumping back uh, to Deuteronomy 6, this is the passage that Jesus is referencing in answering the scribe's question. Uh, it actually says, Shema Israel, Yahweh Elohinu, Yahweh Ahad. So Shema in Hebrew is to hear um, or listen. And when we think of hear or listen, that means to uh, audibly understand what someone else is saying or what a sound is. But what they understood, Shema, to mean is to hear and respond. Um, so you don't just intellectually understand what someone is saying, but you hear what they're saying, and in light of what they're saying, respond to the very things that's being communicated to you. So Shema Israel, and some people say Adonai, this is Lord, uh, Yahweh is, uh, is God's name, and they were afraid to say God's name, so you'll see that some texts actually say Adonai Elohinu, but it's Yahweh Elohinu uh, is our God, uh, Adonai. Yahweh Ahad. So Shema summarizes the entire law that is quoted uh, by Jesus, um, and it is the greatest command. So, um, and before I get into this next piece, I want to jump into Ahad. 
So the last word there. Um, What's the word in English? <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize. One. Ech- one. Ech- okay. so, one. Shema is Israel one. Uh, is hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And the Lord is one. So that word one, um, if you look in Genesis 2, it says the man and the woman shall become one flesh. That same word used in Genesis 2 there, one, is a hide. Now, notice that the man and the woman are two separate entities, two separate beings, but they're recognized as one flesh. There's plurality, but it's a singular word, one. In Shema here, it says that God is one, but there could be plurality, and I think that is part of what is being communicated there. So the Israelites lived among a group of many other people uh, that served many other gods, and this is the greatest command. You shall love the Lord your God. Um, and here, O Israel, um, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, or the Lord is one. There is one God, and he alone is your God. So uh, jumping on, um, so like I said, Shema means to hear and respond, to hear and respond um, to what is being said. So uh Remember that we are reading aloud the language of a covenant text. Deuteronomy is part of the Torah, which is part of the Mosaic or the Old Covenant. And part of the covenant text um, uses the word love in such a way that communicates a relationship between the greater and the lesser parties. So when you read... um, um, to love the Lord your God, that is covenant language. Um, but within the context of love there, there is supposed to be an intimate relationship between the two parties, an intimate relationship between God and his people. Now, if you look at other ancient Near Eastern texts, uh, love is never communicated with a God and its people. Um, this is unique. Yahweh and his people, there is a loving relationship between God and his people. And I think that is significant and that we should recognize that. So Shema which is translated as listen, means um, more than to hear. It means to hear and respond. And since they are hearing, Shema, the words of the covenant, they are to respond to the covenant in obedience. And to be obedient, follows up immediately right here, means you uphold the greatest command, which Jesus says and references here in Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord your God um, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So therefore... Um, to hear and respond means to be obedient, and you respond in a way of being obedient to the law. You notice that says, uh, Jesus says in John 14, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So there's a connection between hearing and obeying, um, and it's uniquely tied here in Deuteronomy 6, in communicating what the greatest of all the commands is. Yeah, and I'd like to pick up on something you, you talked about. It's 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 connected to what you were saying, and you alluded to it. But in Echad, the if you if you if you if you talk to a, a modern day a Jewish person or a Jehovah's Witness or um, a Oneness Pentecostal or or somebody like that, they're gonna they're gonna you may you may get into a Trinitarian debate with them, and this is going to be one of the passages that they will, they will use, and they will say, "Oh no no no, you can't say that that that." That there are two persons within the Trinity, within 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 God, because remember, hero Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Right? There can't be two persons. Well, there is two persons in the marriage, and they are called echad, one flesh. Absolutely. Right? 
you know, and, you know, it's just being familiar with, with the tech or with, with the language. Um, we, you know, we, we would see that, but Paul picks up on this in first Corinthians eight, where he says, um, first Corinthians eight, five, he says, for although there, there may be so-called gods in heaven or in earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God and the Father from whom all things exist and for whom we exist. But he adds here, and one Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom all things ex- all the, who are all things and whom all things exist. So we see here that God the Father and at least Jesus here are within Paul, Paul is structuring this within this this language of of Shema Yisrael, um, um, uh, this 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 phrase here Shema Yisrael Yahweh uh, Yahweh Elohim Yahweh Echad. It, it's it's the same uh, structure here in First uh, Corinthians eight. And I want to make a make a note to the listeners if you. Um, like you're in 2022 Christianity, probably the most popular verse or one of the most popular verse would be like John 3, 16. Yeah. Uh, like everybody knows it, even if you're a Christian or not. Um, Thanks, and, Tim Tebow. And <laughs> if, you, if you go back to like even Jews today or at that time, like the most well-known and recognized verse of all the verses in the yeah. entire Tanakh is Shema. Yeah. So that this is the verse. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with your might. And... Uh, one thing I think I forgot to mention is that Shema is the first word of the phrase. Yeah. And the reason they, this is kind of how they title a lot of passages and books. Yep. So, for example, if you want to read the book of Genesis, they don't call it Genesis, they call it Barashit. So, the first word of the Bible is Barashit. Um, that's because the whole book is named after that first word of that book. And that's actually very common in passages. And in books, they will name it after that first phrase. So this is the first word of this phrase. And there's actually three parts to Shema that they would recite daily in the morning and the evening. Um, but nonetheless, that's the reason why it's named that. Yeah. So one thing that I want to mention is, so we said chapters 1 through 3 in Deuteronomy was kind of like a recap of where they've been. It, at the end of chapter 4, Moses begins to lay out this speech before the people. And one of the things he says in chapter 4, verse 39 Know therefore today, lay it to your heart, that the Lord is God in heaven above, and on the earth and beneath there is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments which I command you today, that it may go well with you and your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land the Lord is giving you all this time. And then he begins chapter 5 with a Shema. He says, Hear, O Israel, and he gives out the Ten Commandments, the same commandments that were given at Sinai. And he begins to unfold the book of Deuteronomy, um, literarily, following a breakdown, an expansion of these Ten Commandments. And so he's already said, how is it that you're supposed to keep the commandments and statutes of God, that it may go well with you and with your children? It's founded on, it's, it's based on the idea that you should lay into your heart that God alone is in heaven. And so when he brings the Ten Commandments, the first commandment is, I am the Lord your God that brought you out of the land of Egypt— you shall have no other gods before me. He's expanding on that in chapter 6 when he says, The Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And then he says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. 
talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. Bind them on your hands, between your eyes, on the doorposts, in your city gates. The illusion he's, he's building out here is a merism, which I've talked about chiasms, but Deuteronomy uses a new structure called a merism, where if you use the two opposite extremes, it means everything in between. God is the God of a hill and the valley which means he's the God of everything between the hills and the valleys. God is the God of the heavens and the earth, which means he created everything between the heavens and the earth. And so here, when you talk with your children diligently, as you sit, as you rise, as you lay down, he means constantly be teaching your children Mm -hmm. to love the Lord their God, because this is the only way that they're going to know it. If you teach them to delight in the law of the Lord. And so, Later, the commandment is going to be given um, when you have a king in the land, which I'm getting way off track here, but when you have a king in the land, he should have his own copy of the Torah, and he should be reading the Torah. He should be reading the law of Moses. And writing it. And writing it and thinking about it, that he might lead the people. And, and the way that you're supposed to uh, you know, actually be right with God, to dwell properly in this land that they're about to cross into, the only way to make that happen is to, to, to set your heart and, and delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on it day and night, as it says in Psalm 1. I'd, yeah. like, I'd like to highlight, right after we look at Shema, uh, the, the greatest command in all of Scripture, right after that, it says, or like in the midst of it, you shall teach them diligently to your children. The importance of teaching the Scriptures to love God to your children is right there. It's It's... Like, as soon as you could possibly put the importance of it, it's right after saying you shall love the Lord your God. So I think that as families, sometimes we get boggled down by so many other activities and so many other uh, obstacles and just things in our life that we forget, the like, what's important. And out of everything, it's to teach your children uh, to love God. And so, um, or... Uh, in loving God, we should be teaching our children to love God. So I think that there is a, a strong emphasis on the family nuclear unit to uh, communicate with your kids at a young age, not when they get older, but start or ex- when... Or, or expect their youth pastor to do it. Yeah, yeah. Or, or expect someone else to do it. But when they're young, teach them the Bible. Teach yeah. them who God is, all the stories that we read about, and, and to love Him. Because I think so many families think that, well, Deuteronomy is a hard book to read. Well, we'll we'll let someone else teach them that. Or when they get older. No, I mean, these kids out in the desert, they were learning um, all the very things that we a lot of times pass up on. So I think there's a really important piece of that. Yeah, Paul told Timothy, from your youth, you've been acquainted with the Holy Scriptures that are able, able to make you wise unto salvation. But there's something I would like to go back to in chapter 5. Um, you'll notice as as you're reading along, you'll you'll see that the the Ten Commandments are 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 restated here, but they're restated in a hey, little bit. Little let, bit. Of, let me just interrupt you and ask a quick question. Okay. So, because it's going to lead right into what you're talking about. Okay. So the next you, one you're reading my mind, Josh. The next one, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're getting good at this podcast. Well, I have thing, to stop huh? doing that, Josh. <laughs> so here's the question: In chapters four through eleven, right, we see even more laws being given to Israel. Uh, and you, you can stem. You don't have to answer this word for word. But what's the what's different from this and what we've already read about in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers? And is it the same law just repeated, or is there anything new to gain? So, so, so I'm going to give you an example. 
I'm going to give you an example of a difference and explain why the difference is there. You'll notice that in the Ten Commandments, that the, the, the commandment to observe the Sabbath day, you'll remember in Exodus, the grounding of the Sabbath day is, is the seventh day of creation. Right, but in in Deuteronomy, the grounding of the Sabbath day is the Exodus, right? And you might think, wait a minute, why why is this happening? Well, remember, these people, um, Moses Moses is writing this to another to another generation entering into into this promised land. Well, you you might think, well. Why, why is that? Is this a, is this an error? Is this a is this a problem? No, this is where we have to read the scriptures typologically. We have to see that the exodus, the exodus from Egypt into the into the promised land is like another creation, right? They are they like just like what what I said I mentioned earlier that that in the land is synonymous with the new covenant understanding of being in Christ, right? This this. This law that was given to the children of Israel in Exodus 20 now is given to another generation that, have, that has seen God deliver deliver them in the same types of ways of, uh, that, that, that is mirroring uh, 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 creation, right? A, a decreation, like in, 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 the, in the plagues, there's like a, a decreation, it's a tearing down of creation, and then there's a new creation. Right. And this type of language, this typological um, language, it unfolds over and over and over again throughout the scriptures. So do you understand? At least at least with the Sabbath command. Yeah. So one of the things that I think is really interesting about what's being done here that makes it not just a repeat of the Torah. Um, sorry, um, <laughs> Josh is cracking up over here. One of the things I think uh, makes it not just a repeat is the way that it it's emphasized. And so when you go to chapter 4, He's not just, you know, laying out commandments from this mountain with fire and doom and smoke and thundering and lightning. He's basically pleading with the people. Israel uh, Moses here, like a 120-year-old man, is begging them to please keep covenant with God. He says in chapter 4, listen, hold fast, keep the statutes, do them, take care, keep your souls, don't forget, watch yourselves, beware. Like every single step is just more and more warnings to the people to not neglect this covenant that God's established before them. And then after um, Deuteronomy 6 with the Shema, we have in chapter 7, the Lord saying, when you do go into the land, utterly, completely destroy all the people. Kill them all. Destroy the whole city. And remember that you're not super special. The only reason why you're a holy nation in the first place is because I'm the faithful one who's called you out of the land of Egypt. I'm the one that's been faithful to you. But then he builds out of that that he's going to continue to be faithful. He's going to bless them, and he's going to multiply them. And he's going to hand over the destruction of the enemies um, by his own namesake, for his own, by, for his own glory. And so when you, when you look through what the people are being called to do as they um, see that the Ten Commandments being unpacked, it's, it's not just laws, but this time it's laws being given in the context of going into the land. It's, it's, this is how the law is going to be applied as you enter into the land, this generation that Joshua is going to lead you into the land of promise. All right, let's roll into uh, one of our final questions. So Israel is about to conquer the promised land, and they are to dispossess the nations and kill their enemies. Many people accuse God of being a wicked God uh, for all this violence that is to come. So 
How does Deuteronomy chapter 9 address this criticism? Well, um, it, it takes a lot of nerve to accuse God of being wicked. Um, I'd see Job, you know, it doesn't really work out for you if you want to make that claim. But chapter 9, it says, another Shema, hear, O Israel. Um, you are to cross over the Jordan today to go in and dispossess the nations that are greater and mightier than you. And one of the things that it says is, um, do not say in your heart that the God's thrust you out because of your own righteousness, because you are a good person that you deserve it. It's actually because of the wickedness of the nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. We talked about at the beginning of um, Deuteronomy that the, the people are already as numerous as the stars, that God has blessed them and multiplied them and giving them into the land. This should all bring you back to Genesis 15, when God first made covenant with Abraham. He told Abraham that he would make his descendants as numerous as the stars as he could count them, and that he would be, he'd be given the land, he'd be given um, blessings through the whole world through him. And then he, he puts him to sleep, and he says, know for certain that your offspring will sojourn for 400 years in the land of Egypt. Why? Why this whole long route? Why did Abraham just not multiply in the land to begin with? For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And God's sovereignty is not only working in to harden the hearts of obstinate kings and, and working in the heart of the Pharaoh and working with the rebellious fathers and now working with a new generation, the Lord is also in his timing judging the wicked nations that have sinned against him in the land, that they're offering these child sacrifices and worshiping these false idols and, and practicing these wicked rebellious things that don't fall into his pattern of worship, and the Lord is judging them for their wickedness. Let's not forget, all the way back in Noah, Moses is the same author, right, that the hearts of men were continually wicked from their youth. And, and the Lord, he in his grace, set that bow towards the sky. He doesn't, he doesn't judge the whole world any longer in the waters of judgment, but that does not mean that we've suddenly not become this wicked people deserving, deserving that judgment. Well, and can I pick up something there and go back to... Deuteronomy 7, because you think, you know, these, these wicked, nasty nations that are, that are in the land that, that God is going to empower us to eject from the land, right? And it, it, the, t- the text says over and over, your eye shall not pity them, you know, do, you know, do what you got to do, get them out of there. Um, but, but you might think, oh, well, the Lord's doing, you know, he's, he's choosing us because you know we're righteous, you know, we're we're the, we're the best. Mm-hmm. We're really we're really good. Well, Deuteronomy seven sets that sets that record straight. Mm-hmm. Deuteronomy chapter seven verse six says, "For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples of the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any of the, any of the people that the Lord has set His love on you to choose you. Mm. For you are the fewest of all people." That is the Lord who loves you and is keeping keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers. Um, so it's it's the Lord's love. He chose us. This is the foundation of the doctrine of election. It's not because of because we chose Him or or, or, or whatever. He knew. He looked down the corridors of time that you know that He saw that we would choose Him given the opportunity. No, the Lord sovereignly chooses whom He will and passes over whom He will. And and the, we see that's going to unfold over and over in the scriptures. But also, as as the, as as the people of Israel are humbled, knowing that it's nothing in them that the reason that God has chosen them, 
that that same humility should should flow forth in obedience like what Taylor was saying in verse 9. And this is one of my favorite passages in Deuteronomy. It says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his, his commandments to a thousand generations. You know, we think, you know, this this is covenant blessing here, right? You know, our, our children see the faithfulness of God, um, um, and 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 we trust we trust the Lord that He is going to keep us and keep our children. There's passages that I could go to in uh, uh, Colossians, um, and then also Ephesians six one, um, and then uh, I think this is the foundation of what Paul is talking about in First Corinthians seven about. The, the children of at least one believing um, uh, uh, family member there, that the, that the children are holy. So This passage is so encouraging. There's nothing whatsoever about Israel that, that makes them so good, so great, that God had to pick them. It's, it's nothing on their own doing. It's because God had mercy, mm-hmm. God had love, and he chose them. So... I think for us, we should take that and know that, hey, it's not because anything that we're doing. Um, we should be humble and we should uh, bow down and just recognize that there's nothing great in us um, outside of what the Lord wills and what he does. So I think that should be an encouragement for all of us. Yep, and all we got to do is walk after the Lord, fear him, keep his commandments, obey his voice, and hold fast to him. What was that right? all? I'm glad I've got the spirit to do that and put those works in front of me. <laughs> I don't think I would be any better than this generation. Well, so we're going to wrap it up. Uh, so remember, uh, you can share your questions with us. Uh, we got an email. It's the Bible Connection BDBC at gmail.com. Uh, or you can simply leave a comment on the video on YouTube. Uh, also, like I say every week, if you if you see us in church, holler at us. We 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 love getting uh, feedback, questions, you know, just encouragement, whatever. But um, yeah, that wraps it up, and we'll see you on episode ten.